Hey, how's it going? You're listening to Estranged Podcast, a podcast where we talk about film. And we had, it's not really film theory, right? It's, um, I don't know. We it's, just, it, go ahead. Yeah, it's not like uh, artistic critique or film theory in like a usual sense. I guess it's like looking at how the cultural product that is film, we usually talk about film, reflects yeah. the structures of our society. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's also just like detections of like ideology, right? Like yeah, just the way yeah, that yeah. things function and it's particularly under capitalism. But um, yeah, go on. I, I was thinking today about like why uh, audiovisual media has such like a, a hold on our psyches. Because um, obviously mm-hmm. there's, you know, so many reasons why films are kind of used to look at different areas of society. And as, as Adrian said, we're looking at um, kind of ideologies, basically. But how, as soon as a camera is involved, it's like indicative of some big other. Um, also for also podcasts, right? <laughs> do you think so? Yeah, I think, I mean, because, okay, so this happens. Like, we'll talk at the beginning, and it's like completely, uh-huh. it's way more personal. Uh, and I yeah. think that there's this freedom to be able to talk about things and, but as soon as like the microphone is on and like we, we do the clap, it's like, it yeah. turns into something else. It turns into, it's much more like, yeah, maybe a performance, but it's, it's like edited, you know? Um, yeah. I, you, Censored. in fact, I don't think that we've ever had to edit one of the episodes, like some, I mean like edit something out because I feel like yeah, we were already editing so. ourselves. Yeah, unless it's been like um, some kind of like technical failure. Yeah, exactly. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we've ever. Have we ever said anything like stupid? There's maybe a few times that I felt like we're just so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, this is us oh, self-aware it's, it's... talking about self-censorship, but like feeling like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that unpc thing. I'm gonna get yeah. into trouble. <laughs> trouble from whom? You know. Yeah, I mean, but, and I think it's also getting to a point right now where. You can just be like, "Hey, listen, I I just disagree with you, and that's it." Yeah, like you don't. Yeah, need no, to I say think things are improving big time. Things are improving. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why like liberals even became a thing, or just like social mm-hmm. justice warriors, and it's because like people were paying attention to them a lot and like responding really earnestly. You know, like I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I need to educate my, like you know, all that all that bullshit, and it's like maybe that's the only reason that they happened because all you had to do was just be like, yeah, I just don't agree with you. And then they, yeah, maybe it yeah, would go yeah. away. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, not, not feeling that the, the person who has these kind of um, feelings of offense are anything other just than another person, but that when it becomes expressed on sort of a media platform, like social yeah. media or something, it becomes, it has sort of a charge to it that we feel like, oh, perhaps our position isn't as correct. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Interesting. Or just the accusation that you're becoming like, oh, wait, you're a Nazi and you didn't know. Like, what do you even, <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do yeah. with my life now? Yeah. Now that I have that information that I'm evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we, we started a, like a Q and A episode last week, and we didn't get very far through the list of things that we were going to talk about. I think. Yeah. Well, how many did we cover? Like four things. Yeah, four things. Five, maybe four or five. Yeah. No, we did a um, royal family, friends reunion, fashion, and Black Mirror, and that was it. 
Oh yeah, and and Taylor Swift. I feel a bit. Oh, I feel like man. I was a bit mean about that. I feel like I was. Well, isn't she yeah. an effigy? I always feel I guilty. Mean, isn't she an yeah, effigy? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. A, that's why the documentary exists, so you can hate on her, mm-hmm. or or love well, her, but it's rare. Yeah, I mean that's the, that, I guess that's the point that we're making with the royal family. Did you ever that's meet a, a, a what do they call them horse girls? Horse girls, like pony club girls. Yeah, like girls that have yeah, a pony. Yeah, of course, of course. I was not one of them, but like I know many girls yeah. like that. And are they like that, or like is, do you think she's like a pony girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Because I too, think she actually she's too important. She's too, yeah, and also pony pony club girls are like more down and dirty and like wear like shit covered shoes and like okay. muck out horses and it's funny. Well, there, there's a sort of like a super elite version. Like I think about like a Bella Hadid was a pony pony club person. I think, and I imagine mm. so her father's this like. Uh, millionaire property mogul she had other people to look at i could be wrong but I, when i see images of bella hadid as a pony club person i think like pristine but most people i know are like country bumpkins well here's an interesting question do you think that like uh pony girls are possessed by their fathers okay well, yeah i think that a lot of like dad like daddy's like dad <laughs> yeah i i mean i have so many hot takes about like the feminine in relation to the daddy so that like yeah. they actually are much more in possession of some kind of like phallic, like there's something very phallic about femininity as as like a performance mm-hmm. and like a sort of like um, deliberate, like an owning of something rather than a, like a breathness of something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's like a, very, a lot of masculine energy and like the femme fatale, or, like the daddy's girl, like Ivanka Trump. She's like totally possessed of the phallus, right? She's like yeah. She's, yeah, just, da- she's like the daddy girl, right? Daddy well, she, girl. Like, I mean, I think her desire is to be like a good businesswoman, something that like mm-hmm. Trump never was, but I think always wanted to be. So she's just yeah. like m- mimicking that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting the idea of like drag and femininity that like, obviously, yeah, drag came out of this idea that femininity is like a performance and there's something like, like an addition there, like when someone really leans into their like their feminine, you know, charms and allure and everything. I think it's great. Yeah. I love, I love that hyper-femininity. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Fucking love Bridget Bardot and Marilyn Monroe and Lana Del Rey and yeah. all these people. Fucking great. Who love else it. modern is, is, is like that, I think? I mean, other than Lana Del Rey. Hmm. I mean, I think there are people who are a bit older who, well, I think Frederic, Frederic Bell is a French actress who was in a film that we made. She's very yeah. much like that. Um, I don't know, like in America or the UK, I mean, Dita Von Tees. Right. Yeah. She um, used to go out with like Marilyn Manson for a while. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? I mean, it's funny because obviously there's like a, you know, the more prevalent, um, questions of femininity have sort of been like these facile rejections of it as if that's some kind of like patriarch a patriarchal enforced role yeah. but i actually think there's like a missing of a whole like pleasure enjoyment actual power in that that has yeah. kind of been thrown out um but yeah i'm just wondering like in the public eye who is like a really 
who like plays into their femininity. Yeah. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I can't really think about it anyway. I mean, this yeah. this kind of goes back to like what we always talk about, and it's like the 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 poverty of of millennial like legendary figures. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of like um, um, like rejection of the previous generations, like a lot of parental rejection. Like I'm a mess, or you can't tell me what to do. Or... Yeah. But as in, like, actual formative, like, formal new ways of forming libidinal energies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think yeah, maybe, it's interesting because, like... Do you think maybe millennials understand reality too closely? Like, almost in a psychotic way. And that makes things a little mm -hmm. bit, like, meaningless. And mm -hmm. you just, you, you, you just kind of can see what's on the other side and it's, like, totally yeah. not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a lot of, like, depression amongst men, there's a lot of anxiety, and anxiety is, like, I guess it's, like, there's there's an element of a lack of an answer, a lack of borders, a kind of, like, a, proxim a proximity to, like, the unknown yeah. too much. And also, I think there's, like, a thing of, obviously, a generation of people who are brought up very differently <laughs> from their yeah. parents, like, a sort of a freedom that actually creates, you know, you kind of like this idea of, like, the obviously, um, Shijek always talks about the liberal parent, but where does the liberal parent... Like somebody who allows their child to do whatever they want. Like, does that result in a generation of people who just don't know where they start and stop and don't have any like, you know, you just see these like anxious. There's a, there's a whole like, I don't know if it's a system, but there's a whole cohort of the offspring of really famous uh, intellectual, artistic, political figures yeah. um, of the 90s and aughts who are like, uh, activists around the notion of anxiety and body image. There's like you, if you start seeing this, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Something I've really, really noticed, and it's like, so these are these are often like children of wealthy liberal families, and mm -hmm. obviously this idea of like all that wealth and power and whatever, well, quote unquote, can't really solidify the self, and like instead of it being like a, leading to self assurance, it's like a, this perpetual self questioning, right? You know. Yeah, and I think that, um, well, I think to, to be a great artist or to be uh, a legend, so to speak, like what we were saying, um, mm -hmm. you have to really have, like, it, it's driven by desire. That's created yeah. by, like, the desire that you have and, like, how much will you have to pursue it. Um, but there's this sort of, like, mistake, right, that, that, that has been created through, like, the excess of information but I think mm -hmm. people just like know what's on the other side so that they lose their desire. And maybe that's the yeah. reason why people can't like, well, we, we can't seem to formulate somebody that represents the generation like in a way that is wholesome. Um, yeah, it's interesting because obviously like desire requires a not having and a not knowing of the results. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like a direction. Um, I do have to, like yeah. a bit in our direction, but yeah, sorry. I do have to say that to me, uh, Villeneuve and well, I, I just don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe he's like a Gen Xer, but like Ari Aster, for example, yeah. I do feel I I kind of like feel like a fucking dog. Like if I like when they hear a dog whistle when I watch his movies, it's just like my ears stand up and I'm just like, oh, this is this feels like familiar emotionally. Yeah, um, interesting. Not to who I am as an artist, but to who I am as a person. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know. For me, I just think that maybe he represents what something that's going on. Like, well. But I also I also think that you know another question of the millennial, uh, the millenn- great millennial artists. Obviously, you know I think like the thirties are generally a time of emergence of like you know uh, enacted genius. <laughs> you know you can yeah. get like precocious accidents before that. But I feel like obviously we don't really have the means, and not only like the material means, but things are so expensive for yeah. us. So you could maybe 50 years yeah. ago live in a squash in New York and be able to make great art, but like how the fuck can you live in a cultural center now making art? Yeah, and that's it. That's the like, other thing. Like the yeah, that's in- another thing. Yeah, the invasion of capitalism into like the art industry is pretty, yeah. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. you think that a lot of people that you watch up on screen are there because they're talented? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, like fat chance. I think it's mostly because yeah. you have connections and you have somebody that knows somebody and they're doing your dad a favor or whatever uh that's how you get into it yeah i think people kind of know that and i think there's a kind of like a like a lessening of interest in many ways because of that and i think we're going to talk we're going to touch on this like the state of the arts and like um you know governing bodies and awards and the way that art is recognized and the way that art functions today in like under capitalism and i think also you know because of the capital you know capitalization of art yeah like also you know this is like identity politics has come into it and sort of like specific perspectives being voiced and if the perspective isn't sound according to the dominant capitalistic position then you know is it even art yeah (laughs) or is it just like something like what is this oh my gosh (laughs) um but i think you know that's not to say that there's uh there isn't great stuff that isn't like that and that it's just pure art. But I think there is a sort of like, yeah, there's a commodification of the whole industry that maybe wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and actually, should, should we talk about the first question? Because this kind of like relates to the idea of punk. Wait, can I just tell you um, something really quick? I think, oh yeah, go for it. Uh, okay, so, um, I, I, well, I'm a producer and I did one of my sister's singles that just came out. And mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to do a remix for it so mm-hmm. we f- we looked for somebody that could do a remix and we sent it and you know we waited like three weeks uh, for them to to give it back to us and oh my god i can't tell you how bad it is so i think basically really? what ha- i can't I, I i think basically what happens is that they grab a song that you want to remix and mm-hmm. then they just take the voice mm-hmm. And then they time stretch it so that it fits the time of another song that they already have. Mm -hmm. And then they just tune it so that it fits the key. Uh, Mm -hmm. So basically what these guys do is just like they just make music uh, all the time and then they just save Mm -hmm. them and then wait for somebody to want a remix and then just grab whatever song that they've made (laughs) and then just draw the, the voice on top of it. Yeah. Oh, it was so I mean, bad, and I'm just thinking, okay, I because I I know how these like how these things kind of work, and like how mm-hmm. you can get them sounding the way that they sound, mm-hmm. and there's these websites where you can buy pre-made music, right? Yeah, and yeah, so you yeah. so you or or it's a pre-made loop or it's a pre-made bass, and mm-hmm. then you just buy yeah. like ten of those and then just put them together, and you have a song. Uh, it's amazing, and I think that it there's this also there's also this like way in which p- 
people are starting to recognize music creation as a business mm -hmm. that you don't mm -hmm. have to even be a musician to do it you just charge people yeah. to do this kind of stuff and it's you just really have to know how computers work uh and that's really all you need and it's crazy i mean it, that's not yeah. art i know it's interesting i should there's some people if you still want to do a remix there's some people i know who would probably be really good so <laughs> yeah. i'll go before i forget but like yeah, that's interesting. I guess, yeah, the digitization of everything um, obviously has an impact. And I guess in music, it is a real, like, electronic music. Yeah. Um, but, do you, I mean, the thing is, can, can you make it really good if it's just from a, like... From, like, a... Does that work? Like does a, it work? To, could you ever make something good by just chucking things together? Could you, by accident, make something good? Or, like... Well, okay, so... Uh, that's sort of like a genius sort of thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you fundamentally misunderstand art so much mm -hmm. so that when you attempt to do it, it's like groundbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of artists that really didn't even know what they were doing or they just completely misunderstood art. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, but because of that distinction, they themselves became artists. But mm -hmm. the end is always an attempt to understand art whether it's faulty mm -hmm. or not, uh, not to understand capitalism, right? So like the end of mm -hmm. art is not to connect with capitalism. I mean, capitalists tell you it, it's like the, the source behind it because you need the money and whatever. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. those worlds should always stay like separate from each other. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that like having capitalism as an end sort of corrupts or warps art into something yeah. that is like mutated and kind of disgusting. It's interesting because um, this is actually, I feel like maybe we're just going to, maybe I should just say that the things we're going to talk about and we won't say them in order because I feel like there's so many things I want to add about a, a, a bunch of the things we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about yeah. um, punk, Billie Eilish, uh, woke ideology in Hollywood, stand-up comedy and like just the arts in general. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that like in Europe, one way, okay, so film is an art form that requires a huge amount of money to make. Um, and therefore it's more prone to kind of like be, you know, overtaken by, by capital. Yeah. So in Europe, traditionally, they have all these uh, government funding bodies that kind of protect it as art as such. But what has happened in recent years is the governing body's motivation is no longer like, is this good art? It's mm -hmm. like, how many people does this employ slash what is the, uh, you know, what is the investment uh, return, return on investment for this money that we're putting in. So in Northern Ireland, like Game of Thrones, we get a lot of government money and stuff like that because it brings Game of Th Thrones to Northern Ireland and then it employs lots of people and they're going to make a shit ton of money. But like sh the, the original intention there was to protect it as art. And yeah. literally the whole thing has just completely spun away from that. Yeah. And literally one gets told, I said literally like three times, um, one gets told constantly, uh, art house cinema is over. Um, yeah. And yeah, and therefore one has to, if one wants to do it, one has to like ch chase capital oneself. So yeah, yeah. just that the government uh, bodies have become mini, mini businesses. Yeah. Like basically, well, yeah. Okay, and uh, don't you think that it's a sort of coincidence that... Um, countries that are running behind the United States and the UK mm -hmm. uh, and Germany, like running behind them, imitating capital, 
right? So mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, the United States is already in like in its late stage of capitalism, mm-hmm. and maybe Mexico or some other countries um, are like behind them, but mm-hmm. with the same goals. Or sort of like capitalism hasn't completely manifested itself, but it's like getting there. Um, do you think that maybe that creates like a new artist because? I, yes, I'm I'm, I'm just trying to think that like the last seven I think Oscars have been uh, for directors I think have been mm-hmm. like uh, won by Mexicans. Uh, yeah, Mexicans. But there, yeah. were, there was oh yeah, a Korea now. Um, well, I think there's um, multiple factors at play there. Like I think that we live in a global world now, and often these award ceremonies were like for American film, for British film, after you know this kind of stuff and i think the global thing has changed i think there's various other things about representation and stuff um but i actually think it's easier to make independent film in the quote-unquote most capitalistic country in the world which is america Mm -hmm. rather than europe um because precisely because because of this like you know the prevalence of capital it allows people to um so it's it's kind of like more of a free market in a sense that we have in Europe like a controlled market, like yeah. a state-controlled capitalistic market, whereas in America it's much more kind of like loose, wild west. And because people understand the prevalence of capital, they're more likely to um, be willing to explore things in a more artistic way, whereas in Europe there's just like a, gra- like a grasp yeah, of... But- yeah, but don't you think money. that like living within capitalism completely like that, um, it it just okay. So you know how Todd says that capitalism is not funny. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that like capitalism isn't artistic. So like living completely. It's not artistic, but I think the thing is that when you are in a system that is like not. <laughs> st- well, it's funny. I guess it's the question of like state-run capital versus just capital. It's just like the way I see the way people work in LA compared to where they how they work in the industry I'm in in Europe uh, and other countries. It's more kind of like um, actually I don't know if it's better, but more people just kind of like doing it, yeah, rather than yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, it's uh, I just I do think there's more in independent film comes out of America that's really good than that than it does out of Europe at the moment. And yeah. I don't know, maybe I don't know why, maybe I haven't really thought why, but I think it could be the change from a focus on art house in Europe to a focus on like return on investment. And I feel like I'm waffling and I haven't really found an answer, but yeah. But you're right, it, like capitalism isn't funny and capitalism isn't creative. Well, As yeah, in, it creates just... false novelty, false novelty. Yeah, yeah. And if all the... I don't know if all the building blocks of reality are capitalistic in the US or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just think that like you're surrounded or you're in this environment of capital and your environment is what influences you, right? Yeah. Um yeah. and just like you're constantly just being influenced by capitalism and I think that it's so difficult to like get something artistic out of that. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I mean Europe obviously is traditionally like less capitalistic one one has previously asserted but i feel like it's going away of america but um maybe yeah maybe i don't know this is like in your face capital makes you more 
resistant to it in some ways. I don't yeah. know. I don't think so. But yeah, no, I, it could also just be because that like American population is so much bigger. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, it is interesting that like so many Oscar winners have come from Mexico. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to tell you, I think that, well, one of the other things that we need to talk about is B.A. Eilish. And okay, yeah, yeah, okay. B.A. Eilish is like kind of enigmatic to me. I just don't, yeah. I, I don't know if it's an age thing or it's just sort of like an art form that I just don't recognize yet through like my mm -hmm. instincts. It's not instinctually yeah. good for me or like yeah. even like worthy or whatever. But yeah. there's something about Billie Eilish that I think is interesting and it's that she hasn't been able to incorporate herself as a sort of capitalist artist like mm -hmm. Katy Perry or Lady Gaga mm -hmm or I don't know, Jennifer Lopez or whatever. Like all of these artists that are just like huge and they're iconic, um, but through capital, not through, not through art. Um, I'm not saying that they're not artistic because I think they work with a lot of interesting people, but as symbols uh, in society, mm -hmm. I think they're more business people than like really an artist. And I think Billie Eilish, her image as such hasn't been able to be incorporated into that sort of like filter right um i think i don't know i think it's like a lot of people have have been saying that she's like oh she's she's a very a very beautiful girl and i think she has like great eyes or whatever but like she kind of looks like a bottle of mountain dew or whatever um and it's just funny i mean that there's this sort of like self-sabotage uh into becoming that that thing and i think it would be very easy for her to become i'm not saying that famous but that sort of inducted into art as capital does that make sense yeah no i think it's really interesting there's a there's a bbc interview with her the other day it was just on the like the bbc news website whatever and uh i honestly i saw the thumbnail and i thought it was like a comedian dressing up as billy eilish as a jig <laughs> Because yeah. she had this like, you know, her, like green top and then the black hair and then like this big Burberry headband and then these massive glasses and like a set, like a Burberry print sack. Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite interesting. But I do not think though that this is just a question of aesthetics and like capitalism is very good at incorporating that which critiques it. I mean, who knows? Who knows if like the next move of capital is like our position, which is like ironically critiquing itself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but like... I mean, is this no, not I, like a... Is, yeah, I get it, yeah. It, I mean, aesthetics not is, like a, it's not a tell. Is it not like an aspirational rejection aesthetic? Mm -hmm. You know, is that like, there's not some like cultural capital in the kind of like rejection Yeah, it, it incorporates of, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I just think it could just be the new turn. Also, I think the other thing is like now um, new artists are discovered in different ways like SoundCloud, YouTube... And there is an ethos and aesthetic to those uh, those platforms, which is more kind of like um, apparently earthy and real. And that's part of the selling point is, oh, this, these people have been discovered. They've got 300 million followers on YouTube. They made this thing that went viral. Um, and so that, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's an interesting one. It's a question. I mean, who knows what the future of capital will be? I do sometimes wonder whether the new... The next, the next phase is going to be like the capitalized upon. Well, we already see there's like an aestheticized leftist position, but I think that's quite easy to identify. 
But I wonder yeah. if like the next phase is like it, capitalism is going to be like really geniusly incorporated like these very like correct criticisms of itself. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you mean as art? Well, like as 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 just just everything like morals, yeah. aesthetics, culture, politics. politics. Um, yeah, yeah, I was I was going to tell you. Do you think that? Um, well. I don't know. Do you think that maybe what Billy Eilish is doing is confusing? Not be, well. I, I it's because I agree with you about what you're saying about aesthetics. Uh, that you know, and they can be deceiving and they can change radically from one into another, but under the guise of capitalism, uh, or capitalism under the guise of like some kind of figure that that might be good. But um, the reason why I'm bringing that sort of like thing about her up is that mm -hmm. I'm not sure if she's good and I mean that in a positive way like mm -hmm. I think she has like an interesting voice and I think that I'm not particularly like interested in the music that much uh, because I think a lot of it sounds like maybe too pop but for her I, I'm just not sure if like she might become better like I mean there's a, there's a whole bunch of bands that start just kind of I don't know, Radiohead is a good example. It was just mm -hmm. like a sort of a Pixies knockoff or like Nirvana. But they became something a lot better than that. And I just think that maybe it's like too early to tell if if that's mm -hmm. like her her sort of position. But anyway, yeah, that's that's all what I Yeah, no, because I guess the, 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 the other interesting thing is like, aside from the art, is the, is the person themselves. And I think like both in terms of like longevity of an artist and like how, you know, someone like Madonna, Manchester, like Wolf generation and has this like incredible sticking power and yeah. has this like psyche that seems to like thrive off being famous. And obviously a lot of people find that position like extremely traumatizing, horrible or whatever. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I know, I think there's something, you know, the fact that we're both so baffled by it and just don't really understand it is part of the allure, you know, there's like a, um, as Roland Barthes says, she's like a writerly text. You know, you like are mm -hmm. invested in the question. Yeah, it's like I just say it's like so baffling. It's like some Rubik's cube. It's like, what is this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you no, think I, do you think it's maybe because we're getting older? Like, is she like solely for Gen Gen Z or whatever the fuck? I know it's funny because like there's obviously like bad guy track was like really catchy. Like, and I think that really had universal appeal. But like a lot of the music, I don't really get. It. It's too zoned out for me, I think. Did you hear the new one? The James Bond one? No, not the James Bond one. The one that she did before that. It's like a piano. It's kind of slow. Uh, yeah, I think it was like a live performance that was quite, quite, like, viewed quite a lot, I think I saw. But, you know, I I find, and obviously there's a whole, there's a whole aesthetic of, the, like, the Xanax rap and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I find it. I find it like too mellow. For yeah. My taste. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't. I didn't I, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. So that like, what's he called? The guy that overdosed, Lil Little Peep or something. Lil yeah, something. Lil Peep. No, yeah. it's a uh, everything I wanted. That's that's the name of the song I was looking for. Right. Me. I'm not sure. I'm not and sure. And it's good. It's good. Is it? Okay, I'll check it out. But I mean, like the, the Bond track I found quite low energy. Yeah, I haven't heard it. I, uh, yeah. Like, there's, there have been some really good Bond themes in recent, like, recent iterations. Like okay, the, the Adele Jack one. Jack White one. 
I fucking love. I I gotta, I gotta yeah. say I love the Adele yeah, one. Yeah, she The strings good. and the horns are so good in that. <laughs> I like the Jack White one for Quantum Source is really good. The Chris Cornell one was really good as well. Like, yeah, <laughs> I like a bit of energy, but I don't yeah. know, maybe maybe like that that generation is like less less needing of of like an injection of like dynamism into their lives through pop music. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a narcotic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then, well, it's interesting, like, maybe there's something to the narcotic of each generation. So you mm-hmm. have, like, the 19th century, I don't know, what was it? It was, like, um, certain forms of alcohol, absinthe and opium, yeah. whatever. And, like, yeah. the 90s, it was cocaine, and now it's Xanax. I don't know what our generation was, because I didn't do anything. So. Yeah, cocaine. Was it, like, we- weed? No. Weed, maybe? No, weed is like 1960s. 1960s. 70s. Yeah, but Xanax is definitely like the, the like. I like, think it's Adderall. Day. I think is it's it Adderall. Adderall. But that's an energy giving one, right? No, but it's a. Uh, it's to. Is that the millennial it's one? It's to treat attention deficit. So it's deficit like. Disorder. Maybe that, that's telling as well. Interesting. For, for yeah. like autism, I think too. It's like traces of autism that, you know, if you if you're. Uh, what is it called? Functional. <laughs> I, I, yeah, fuck, yeah, I yeah. fucking hate that it's called functional. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I think it's that. I think it's the desire to be productive, and that's the drug for mm. it. Yeah, but I guess that that's more like our generation rather than seventeen-year-olds, right? Or maybe they do get they do get drugged at school. Like people are given like prescriptions on in high school. Yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we do? I uh, could never. I could never. I don't think I could never do it. What do you mean? Like Maybe. take Adderall? Like Adderall. That would freak me out too much. Yeah, I don't know. I've thought about it, but I just... But I do that. like coffee, so, you know. I, uh, um, I like coffee, so it might, make, it might really actually freak me out if I take it. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it, it might just make like me feel anxious. You get quite an intense reaction to things, substances, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um yeah okay so we're going to talk about punk was something that somebody asked about and i guess this relates a little bit to this both like a genuine rebellion and like something that's aesthetized as a like a like an like a capitalism taking that aesthetic of punk mm-hmm. but um punk is kind of like a like applies quite a lot to where i'm from from northern ireland because um there was a big, big punk movement during the uh, the Troubles, and it's kind of like a rejection of all forms of meaning in terms of the political and how it manifested in art. Um, and yeah, so, and it still has a sort of like a big kind of like, there is a sort of, when you go to Belfast, there's this kind of like grimy, fuck you rejection of progress and all this kind of stuff, and like in the best possible way. But yeah. the punk's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, and I guess punk maybe now would look different. Somebody who, you know, because obviously we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the, the two, two sides of a libidinally invested coin, the IDW and the SJWs. Like, what, what is a punk <laughs> in relation to that? Like, there's a punk position to be had in all binary kind of like meaning systems and all conflictual situations, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. That's Gosh. like the intellectual dark web or something. What is it called? Yeah, uh, the intellectual dark web. IDW. Yeah. I can't believe they call themselves that. I think that's the Dunning Kruger effect of intellectuals. Like I'm an intellectual. It's like 
really yeah what <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no punk is yeah. punk, punk i think it's interesting because i think it implies a sort of passion for music mm -hmm. but that isn't virtuous so you have like somebody yeah. like van halen or something like that or paul yeah. gilbert they're just like these amazing guitarists right uh but then you have somebody like joey santiago from like the pixies mm -hmm. or ed o'brien from radiohead and the way that the way that they play is not virtuous like you're, you're not gonna hear them like just like jam out with like solos or whatever i mean they do mm -hmm. solos but they're so deconstructed it's almost like conceptual rather than performative But um, yeah, I think it's interesting that what we were talking about before is just like um, that you don't have to be like virtuous. You might even un misunderstand how a guitar is being played, right? But um, the way that you misunderstand it like really creates like this new sort of wave of art. Uh, and because mm -hmm. I was watching this like live show with of the Pixies and Joey Santiago was like playing the guitar. And I was just like, dude, this guy almost like, it almost seems like he doesn't know how to play guitar. Um, but I think that's the the sort of power of of punk, that it's yeah. it's not virtuous. It's sort of like really raw and emotional. And it's almost like mm -hmm. you don't even have to know like a lot of technical stuff to like perform it. It's more like yeah. a rant or something like that. And, and it becomes yeah, it was artistic. interesting. In Yeah, because it becomes artistic in itself, as you say. It's like a, it's like a, a break from whatever standard formalism there is of a given time, and like yeah. it allows for novelty, like something new. And I'm sure, like the punk of the '60s and was well, sorry, the '70s here, you know, generates a whole new form of music. And the you know, even jazz, like yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like and like jazz is like kind of like maybe yeah. was a punk of its day. It's interesting because um. I think, uh, and, and, and let's not just, forget, like, sorry, just like really quickly, like punk is particularly working class. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least before it became like pop, uh, like mm -hmm. the, the Clash was like, you know, the working class sort of band and they were like one of the founders of, of punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, so I think Peach just did like a, an episode on this podcast called The Liturgists. Yeah. about um i think it was about purity cultures but it's basically like this idea of the scapegoat mechanism and basically the point is that breaking away from the scapegoat mechanism is the only way for novelty to occur so basically scapegoat mechanism is like when you have a society and it's formed around a rejection of the other and then the other who potentially is legitimately bad or not you know i'm talking thinking about like so you know obviously terrible scapegoat mechanisms are Jews with the nazis but also we have scapegoat mechanisms with like you know both the right wing and the liberal, the liberal right, yeah. <laughs> two sides of the same neoliberal liberal coin who like scapegoat each other. But it's basically you have to break away from that like mechanism in order for novelty to arise within a conflict and for something new to be formed. So a scapegoat mechanism is like the conservative position par excellence. It's like keeping, keeping like contemporary conditions the same. Yeah. But in order to see a situation differently or to refresh or to formulate new ideas or to move forward you have to like reject that mechanism mm -hmm. and therefore i mean that's kind of like the punk position basically and um people talk a lot about how in northern ireland it, this 30-year conflict came to a, a point where the each side rejecting the other or blaming the other so intensely and wanting to overcome the other led to this kind of complete stalemate and in order to 
create something new, you have to take like the punk position, basically. Yeah. The, like gen- like the rejection of every the entire meaning system up to that point, and realize like actually no, we need something better. You have to. I mean, it's like out of necessity. Was, yeah, it was, it was so bad that they had mm-hmm. to. But um, yeah, it's a sort of like a rejection of all kind of explanatory systems that maintain a status quo to find something new. And it's like kind of a scientific method with punk. You know, well, do you think so? Because isn't punk perverse? Yeah. Well, no, like, well, okay, I'm not saying it is legitimately, but like, there's an element of like the scientific method is a way to engage with the world to, Mm. to discover something new. And you have to like, whenever you do an experiment, you have, yeah, certain givens that you assume to be correct, but you have to like be willing to be surprised, you know, and like, yeah. create a system whereby all expectation and all like assumptions are put aside you know to well, do just you think, see uh, what happens do you think uh, like events of like punk behavior or punk art or you know anything related to punk maybe in politics it's like do you think it's his, like hysterical or perverse i don't know yeah. i don't know i have no idea or maybe paranoid <laughs> Well, I know, I think, like, Bernie is a bit of a punk. Like, he's just been sticking to his guns from day one, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he just doesn't care. I, I actually, I don't know the answer to your question. Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, what do you I think? Mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, like, perverse, right? Because it's, I think... But it's isn't so, perverse, so like... Hysteria is just, like, demands for justice. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that punk is really about justice or do you think it is is it that is it no no right i mean is it, is it just kind of like this explosive moment that is like without i mean it has a target but it doesn't have a goal like in the moment then it becomes something else right mm-hmm. but i think punk is sort of like the de- decapitated sort of anger and it's just a spurt of emotion and that's it um that's interesting it doesn't include yeah, like it, it doesn't include tomorrow i guess is what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm not sure, I, I'm not sure cause, yeah i'm not sure so i think that but. maybe it's perverse because it's yeah because it's that um and and i think hysteria is more like i don't know like i think liberals are like sort of like hysteria <laughs> Yeah, I think that was so history. Um, yeah, but I, I think that there's an element in like the perverse subject where you like concretize issues into like actual physical objects. Yeah. So you might like have like the Nazi uniform, you know, something. Yeah. You know, is it like this that they like libidinal issues are kind of like concretized around objects, whereas like punk is just a complete outburst. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to so talk about comedy? That was another question that some uh, people had. Yeah. Um, well, comedy is one of the things that has been murdered in our millennial era. Um, yeah, I think that basically people that are like really into identity politics and really worried about representation and all of this, um, they've completely sort of bypassed the possibility of comedy. Because mm-hmm. I think comedy is like meant to really push buttons and it's really meant to sort of shake the foundations of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. it gets to your fears. It gets to yeah. the things that you're anxious about and then it like forces you to laugh at them. And it's like this yeah. sort of like Im- impulsive sort of uh, really guttural and like maybe 
uh, like feral type of uh, thing that that it makes you do. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think people are just way too anxious to deal with that. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. There's, I think there's a thing that it's like, um, there becomes, there comes a point where if something's too real, you can't make fun of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of yeah. course it's not true, but you, you can think that as, as the person that is like completely in uh, going, going crazy with anxiety. And uh, yeah, I think it's like a, a lot of th- one of the other things is that like feelings became politicized and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because I think people yeah. just don't want to feel like if they're being looked at or just made, made, made fun of. And it's not, it's not bowling. Uh, mm-hmm. It's this sort of like familiarity of the lack, right? That that's, mm-hmm. that's where comedy comes from. But I think a lot of people maybe take themselves and their identity too seriously to the point that they can't hear jokes about themselves. And maybe that that points to a sort of fragmented identity in the first place, because if you were so sure about it, you wouldn't have to be validated by a comedian. Absolutely. I think it's interesting. Do you think there's an element of um, that we're so traumatized by like how shit the world has become that we're like desperate to be infantilized? Um, and obviously like, yeah, being, having the piss taken out of you is sort of like a more adult position. And it's kind of like this beautiful soul idea that basically is a a Hegelian idea that, you know, when you're a child and you see monsters under your bed and all the bad man's in the cupboard, well, that's actually you not being able to handle this kind of part of you that you're coming to terms with as the baddie. So there's sort of like this, this purity, pure soul, um, uh, beautiful soul beautiful so soul, one yeah. cannot be one and i think you know the Taylor, we talked about this last time with the taylor swift documentary it's just like it's a piece of propaganda to paint one as like a beautiful soul who cannot be criticized <laughs> and obviously uh-huh. like um comedy <laughs> is is necessary to you know you're having a dig at somebody somebody's expense yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that stand-up comedy is like important because it points to the lack. I think it has to do with the way that people experience life as like incomplete and shitty. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that if the lack becomes like so politicized to the point that, but it's like through feelings or something like that, um, mm-hmm. it's just, it, that's like a recipe for poison, you know, for, for comedy. And it kind of sucks. Like, I think that there think, needs to be stand-up comedy. Do you think so? Because to me, like, um, comedy is sort of like a commiseration mechanism. It's like we all join together in something that we all recognize as, like, difficult and shit about life, and we overcome it together yeah. through humor. Whereas now we have both weaponized and commodified misery. Because so we don't, we don't want to have our misery over, overcome by commiseration and communal laughter because... It's actually something that it, we can we can use as like a coin of moral virtue. Yeah, you know, my life is so difficult, or yeah. you know, we, we're so over, like this. We're so our society is so overridden by this idea of meritocracy, which is a horrible, like, really totalitarian idea that basically everything you get in life is because of your worth. And one way that actually is a very logical way to kind of like have a release valve is to be like, oh no, but I've got a bad back, so I can't partake, you know? So it's kind of like, we we want to have misery tokens because we feel so overwhelmed by the pressure of being an individual frigging commodity in society. You know, all the mechanisms that used to be there to like 
ballast us against capital. The yeah, family, I mean, I think, yeah, that's everything why, is eroded. Yeah, that's why Zizek had to say that you know don't fall in love with your own suffering. Um, yeah, because it's commodified. It's commodified yeah. now. Like it, it, it has some sort of value for like liberal communities. But um, what I was gonna say is, do you think that isn't it? Isn't it comedy that has become commodified? Do you think? Do you really think that it's emotions as such or misery as such? Um, like I, I don't know. I'm just. I was just thinking that maybe stand-up comedy is like sort of like the previous iteration of comedy, but now it's like memes. Um, yeah. And like, and you know, this whole thing about Bloomberg paying like ten million dollars to fuck Jerry so that they could make memes. It's oh like, my gosh. yeah, you know, it's like it's like this sort of like mutation of like stand-up comedy into like another form of meme. Uh, sorry, in a, another form of comedy that is not like stand-up, and it's just it follows those rules and it's it's politicized like that. Do you think there's something like anonymous about memes? So we don't know who the author is necessarily. So yeah. people can be like actually say things. Whereas if Louis C.K. says something, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's, we can easily position who is the bad man. Yeah, it's like incorporeal. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. It's uh, anonymous and floating and <laughs> part of the commons. Um, yeah. But, you know, you talk about identity politics in terms of this uh do you know what they say? But obviously identity politics is about sort of like a search for the self and like, you know, you, you, you load up your Pokemon Go identities so that you feel you can be better understood. <laughs> but who the fuck is understood by like any, like if that, I mean, I do, I'm just saying like, let's say if that is the aim of identity politics, then it, it, it always fails. Yeah. Like surely we have to overcome identity politics to understand that like, being white doesn't mean this being a man doesn't mean this being gay doesn't mean this like there's a there's a huge and not only unity. that but being a man doesn't mean being a man and being gay doesn't yeah, exactly. mean being gay like it's yeah yeah what's the point <laughs> we need to we need to actually like find a way of completely complicating we need to, and I, I guess this is why twitter is such a cesspool because it's all about the lack of you know it's the opposite of complicating it's what was the original 140 characters nothing complex or contradictory can be exposed that way it is pure yeah. it's pure immediacy and pure parsed down simpleness and yeah. a identity identity coin is that it's like how i mean life is contradiction and i guess capitalism wants to overcome the contradiction with the commodity Mm-hmm. So identity politics is pure commodity. It's pure capitalism. It's like anything that like overcomes the contradiction, like dwelling in the contradiction, promotion of the contradiction, like the universal contradiction is like the only weapon we have against like perpetual commodification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, should we talk about? Well, I don't know if you want to do woke ideology or if that kind of covers it. Or yeah, I mean, I feel like we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Right. I think basically the argument is that uh, woke ideology is a luxury belief system that conveniently papers over other contradictions that are the real contradictions and that basically it is like a metamorphosis of genuine uh, group-based politics that genuinely were intended to help different groups like, you know, uh, certain political movements that came out of the black community or the gay community or like women's ideas but basically unless those things were originally intended to be universal they can be 
taken on by capitalism to be a release valve as a critique of society actually not perpetuating change because it hits one group against the other. So it's more convenient for those who are empowered to adopt that position than to actually look at a more complex universalist class-based politics that also includes these other groups and how different groups are affected by basically the main antagonism within uh, capitalism, which is surplus value. That's yeah. a very long-winded way. But that's basically what we've said a million times and I think <laughs> is our position, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so, definitely. Um, um, but should we talk about like the Oscars? It's our last little... We sh- yeah, we should talk about the Oscars and I don't know if you saw the debate yesterday. I didn't. I didn't. Um, I haven't really been like keeping up so this Bloomberg guy has suddenly appeared. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it just so you can see how everybody's shitting on him. It's amazing. Really? Yeah, and but he's not good. He's not annoying. good at like debating. So everybody was just like taking advantage oh, of him. Oh, how embarrassing! Yeah. Oh God, it's Fuck embarrassing. Him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Apparently, so, uh, Elizabeth Warren is starting to like really lean into some like Bernie t- talking points from years ago. Yeah, I mean. They're always saying that she's like surging. Like, I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, it, I, I don't know how many times I heard it's like it's Elizabeth Warren's moment, you know, and it's just like she yeah. she completely does like horrible. I think the thing is that the last bunch of years has shown is that people aren't like the general population is actually very smart. I think there's been like a huge kind of like this idea that, oh, the, the lump and you know, group of people and we're all so stupid and whatever. I think people are very, very intelligent. And I think yeah. that, you know, they, they're being, they, there's this uh, move to patronize the public or to um, group certain people and say, well, like people are, people are too smart for that. And I think they're too smart for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. And I think that it's funny that the group with whom she's most popular are like overeducated people yeah. <laughs> who I think, it also goes to show that this whole system that we have, those who go to university, et cetera, et cetera, it's like, it's not the smartest people at all. Yeah. No, but, uh, yeah, Bloom- Bloomberg tried to tell Bernie that, that he was too rich to be talking about, like, socialism. Gosh, he, what I a think, typical right-wing talking point. I mean, I think he called him, a, a, like, a millionaire communist with three houses. Something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 And then Bernie was like, well, this is my house in Vermont and the one that I commute to. And then like, where is, yeah. Yeah. I think like three houses, but they like made sense. One is like a family house and then, but mm-hmm. who the fuck even cares? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's so outrageous that he would compare his know, wealth to, to his own. I think the difference is as well that it's like a leftist talks about structures versus individuals like the capitalist focuses on the individual and i think this is the thing it's like any cat any critique of uh, our contemporary situation is like oh it's the f- fault of the billionaires it's like well no it's the system like one billionaire doesn't mean it's, the system has allowed for this these excesses of wealth it's a systematic yeah. problem and like he's been a senator he needs a house like great like i don't i don't have anything wrong with like people having some money that's just, you know, what are you going to do about that? We live in this world, but that's not to say that this world it doesn't have its issues. I think, I think yeah. there's it, it, like a real, a real kind of like this person's the problem, that person's the problem is a real kind of like status quo question. And it's like, well, 
you know, the same thing at the least sense of meaning of like, oh, let's just replace four of the eight CEOs with women of colour. It's like, yeah. that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> the problem is like not paying workers the value of their work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they talked about that. And other like, things, but yeah. It was pretty, it was good. I mean, the questions were like, you know, as decent as they can be. But um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I mean, they talked about that. They talked about like uh, employees being part owners, co-owners of like the companies that they work for. And Bloomberg was like saying that you know, all, all he, like he deserved his money. And Bernie was like, well, what about maybe maybe your workers have something to do with all the wealth that you have? So it's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, you don't really hear mm -hmm. that that much in American politics. So I thought it was. No, you don't. You don't. And so, so what Bloomberg said that he was worth the amount of money that he's worth. Well, they were asking if he thinks that he should exist. <laughs> As in, like, should billionaires exist? And he was like, yeah, I mm -hmm. think they should exist. And I think that I deserve my money because I worked hard for it. And then that's what Bernie said. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, we, so talking about the Oscars, I think one thing that is often talking point is how the Oscars quite gets it wrong so often and how, mm -hmm. you know, crash one an Oscar or whatever. But I think that the, the issue I want to raise is that, like, just as the individual is a split subject, so too is the, um, the like, uh, symbolic institution, mm -hmm. basically. And that we often, you know, look to... Uh, wider bodies of apparent knowledge or institutions or traditional kind of groups to award us with like an absolute reading of the situation who is the best whatever but yeah I guess the point I just want to make is that like the Oscars or the Academy as an institution is also made up of split subjects so it is itself a split subject and therefore you know um, prone to the same foibles under capitalism as all individuals yeah yeah that's pretty good i mean i uh i don't know there's a there's a few other ones right like the 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 spirit awards the independent, independent, spirit, independent yeah. spirit um there's Golden another one Globes. called like lion or something um, right yeah i don't know do you think that they just like they're handled differently because maybe they're split subjects too but they're like they're making better choices right I do, yeah. I mean, I guess it's something about like the size of the Oscars that we it there seems mm. like the, the 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 most legitimate or the biggest award that yeah. we should have more like accuracy to them. Many maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, the bigger it is, the more it relies on sort of like, and there's a huge amount of campaigning and money that goes into it. So yeah, you know, it's never really fair. I don't think. But um, I thought it was interesting that. Parasite won, and my feeling is that it won, but not for the reasons that you and I would have wanted it to win. Yeah. As in... You yeah. thought it was kind of cynical, or what? Well, I sometimes feel like there's sort of a fetishization of, like, the the other, and I wonder if it was an American-made movie, if it would have been received in the same way. Yeah. But I think it's great that it won. Um, yeah. I could be reading too much into it. Yeah, I'm... I'm no, you might have something there, but I do think that he does. I I think it's just like the 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 almost choreographical nature of choreographic nature of the movie is just amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, nice I mean, I think he's a I think he's just a great filmmaker. Um, yeah, he is in in the way that in the way that other other people are as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that he that he really he really deserved it. Yeah, no, I thought he was. Des- despite the capitalist similar, reasons why he m- might have won, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I think uh, I think it's yeah, it's an amazing movie, Parasite. Um, but you think that potentially other other systems are more accurate than the Oscars? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, I just agree more with some other ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, screenplay they usually do pretty good on the Oscars. Um, Who won best screenplay? Was it? Yeah, Parasite. Uh, was it? I literally didn't even look. I saw Parasite won best picture. Um, yeah, because they always said they have like adapted uh, screenplay and screenplay. Yeah, yeah, like, adapted. Yeah. I don't remember what which one it was adapted. Little Women, maybe, or I don't know. Yeah, I do know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> did you watch it? Did you watch Little Women? No. Oh, I did watch Little Women. Yeah, I did. Was there another movie that you would have wanted to? That you this felt like year. Was? Okay. Um, no, I think I think Parasite was for me. Um, but the things who knows there may have been like a bunch of obscure movies that none of us saw that we'll we'll realize in twenty years time where by far and away the better movie you know yeah um but in terms of mainstream wide release films yeah i mean obviously there was 1917 did you watch the lighthouse i did not watch the lighthouse it's good so well yeah people have said it's good but i i've been very lazy I, you haven't even watched uncut gems yet but i know from oh. previous films by the same directors that like it's so stressful <laughs> like well, it's, it's like it's stressful in the way that Robert Altman is stressful. It's just yeah, hard to yeah. <laughs> keep track of everything. Yeah, I've never thought like Robert Altman is very stressful. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, it's. I didn't find it stressful at all. I mean, uncut gems. Yeah. I just thought it was like, oh, I think I get why people would find it stressful. It's just because the sound, yeah. the sound design is very inclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's very involving. Yeah. Like good times is like very, very, very involving those like really slow pushing shots yeah 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 very good right. was there were there any other topics that we we hadn't hit on that we were we were looking at so that was like a jumbled version of um oh there was one, there was one that they wanted to know what was the appeal of the greatest showman and i feel like we talked about it already like identity politics and all of that mm-hmm. but if yeah. you haven't heard if, if you haven't seen uh, we have an episode solely on the greatest showman and you can go check mm-hmm. it out mm-hmm. yeah yeah um it is it is amazing and i do i say that i just see it everywhere that song everywhere now yeah it's, it's, uh, it's uh, amazing <laughs> yeah that's so depressing I did coin, coinage of victimhood and the clinging on to a, a past um whereby yeah one's yeah. um true self <laughs> was uh had to be repressed in a way that potentially it doesn't have to be now but mm-hmm. which is better question mark yeah who knows <laughs> <laughs> who knows okay is that us what's that is that us what do you mean is that the end of the episode oh yeah 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 <laughs> is that us yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is us, yeah. This is oh shit, yeah. This is us. <laughs> I, that, I thought that's what's that, what's this it. is us. What is this is us? Is that? I don't know. Is that is that a? Oh, 
That's, that's, that's a TV show. I think that's a TV show in America. Yeah. But no, but you said yeah, it because of this is me, right? I want to pretend that I did that deliberately as some like humorous gag, but no, it just came out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So for, okay. you, you can't, you can't do forced uh, Freudian slips, you know? No, exactly. <laughs> God, maybe, yeah, but what would it be? Like a meta Freudian slip where you want to make yourself seem like you have a really un interesting unconscious by saying like an yeah. interesting Freudian slip. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, All right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.